I seem to unintentionally find myself in the middle of significant storms. In fact, there are three that I can think of that were really significant and I can remember vividly. The first was in August of 1998. Jennifer and I were celebrating our 10th wedding anniversary. Uh, Someone in our church there owned a condo in St. Pete's Beach, uh, Florida, and gave us use of it for a few days. And so our kids were little, and we'd never left them alone, but we left them, well, not alone as in, you know, like we didn't leave them alone alone. Uh, We left them with family, which in hindsight was pretty much alone, but... But we did, we did left them behind and we went off on this little trip. And so we flew into Tampa and when we arrived in the neighborhood where the condo was located, it was suspiciously quiet. And there was actually a, a news crew on the corner with the van and the big satellite and people were reporting and, oh, that's interesting. And so when we went inside the condo and we're exploring, of course, one of the first things I like to do is see if the TV works and turned it on and I just had one of those moments like, wait a minute, Jen, that's the crew from outside. They're on the news. And Jen said, well, what are they saying? I'm saying, they're saying there's a hurricane watch and that this neighborhood has been voluntarily evacuated. So we, we thought it out and we processed it and we thought we've never been away without the kids. We've got three days, we're staying. And so we stayed and we waited it out. The second one was in March of 2011. We were enjoying a family vacation in Hawaii. We were on a bus returning from a luau, and I noticed outside the windows that there was significant lineups at the gas stations, and that all the roads leading out of town were in gridlock. And so after a calming ukulele version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, the radio host announced that there had been an earthquake in Japan, that had caused a tsunami that was scheduled to hit the Hawaiian Islands in about four hours. And so with with much fear and trembling, on behalf of most of the people in our family, one of our family members just slept through the whole thing, um, we went to our hotel room and we waited out the storm. The third was this week. So as I mentioned, uh, I'm working on a publication to be translated in Spanish to be used for training church leaders in Cuba. And so I had already met with my counterpart in Havana in May, and so now this was the follow-up meeting in Raleigh, North Carolina, where his son lives this week. And as I was entering North Carolina, I noticed that they had these marquee signs all over the highway announcing a hurricane warning, which I had known it was happening, but I thought it would sort of be not much of an issue in Raleigh. And they were warning that vehicles couldn't be left on the sides of the road because they would be towed and that it was a significant warning and to take it seriously. And ironically, at that point in the trip, I was listening to my classic rock playlist and the song Rock Me Like a Hurricane came on. (laughs) Folks, you can't make this stuff up. I'm I'm not kidding. You know, and so it began to play. And so when I arrived at the hotel, the person at the hotel told me that the hotel was completely packed, that all the hotels were packed because people had moved in from the coast and uh, everybody was, the schools were canceled, uh, government offices were canceled, everything, the whole city was shut down. And here I am once again, forced to wait out uh, 
a significant storm. Now, Jen said, how's the storm? I said, it's pretty much like our first Christmas in St. John's. Not much different. Rain coming down sideways, 100 kilometers of wind, nothing to worry about. We don't have to even have to worry about the Christmas tree that got knocked over in the wind that year. It, was, it wasn't too bad. I seem to unintentionally find myself in the middle of significant storms. Most of the storms we face are not storms of wind and rain and snow and hurricanes and tsunamis. They're relationship storms. They're financial storms. They're health storms. They're emotional storms. They're mental health storms. They're even spiritual storms. Many of us unintentionally find ourselves in the middle of them. Now, these storms can leave a lot of damage in our lives, in our families, our marriages, our faith. And what enables us to be survivors in these storms is the presence and authority of Jesus in our lives. Jesus has the ability to not only bring us through our storms, but also the ability to bring good things out of our storms that actually benefit us in the long run. And so in our scripture today, as we've heard it read, and thank you, Mark, for jumping in to do that, they found themselves in the midst of a life-threatening storm. And we're going to see that Jesus has authority over the threatening storms in our lives. So we are going to look at Matthew 14, 22 to 24. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. I know it was read earlier in the service, but you can do that. So let's, let's begin. The disciples' storm came when things were going great. Things were going really, really well. We read that just prior to this storm was that miraculous event of the feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children, so an excess of 10,000 people estimated to be fed, and they experienced this tremendous miracle on the hillside, that five little loaves and two little fish not only fed all of those people, but in the end, they were able to collect 12 baskets of leftovers. And so they're basking in this miracle. I mean, this is, this is a life-changing miracle. They're on a spiritual high. They're just, you know, it's like when you have those good moments, like when a Canadian wins a tennis championship in the U.S. or whatever. You're, you're really excited. And we're told that after it was all sort of cleaned up and settled away, that Jesus, quote, made the disciples get in the boat to cross over to the other side. He says, I'm going to dismiss the crowd, and I'm going to go off for some alone time to pray. You guys go across to the other side. And the plan was to meet up with them later on the other side. Now, we're told that that same evening when they were in the middle of the lake, they faced a sudden storm. Now, sudden storms on the Sea of Galilee are common during the rainy season. And if you look at Mark's account of the feeding of the 5,000, he says that the group, the crowd, were seated on the green grass. And so because of that, we know that that's a confirmation that this event happened during the rainy season. Now, the storm caught them off guard for two reasons. Number one, 
because of how quickly it just seemingly came out of nowhere. But number two was the timing. How could something so terrifying happen when something so good just happened? And so they weren't expecting it. They were caught off guards. Their thoughts and emotions are anchored in the excitement and the joy. This is the last thing they expected to happen. To make matters worse, the only reason they were in this position in the first place is because Jesus made them go. Jesus is the one who put them out there. They're only out there because they were obeying what he asked them to do. So to say that this storm took them off guard and was unexpected, I think would be an understatement. The next thing we see is the struggle. Not only are we told that Jesus told them to get into the boat, but we are told that he can see them struggling in the storm. Now, you don't see that in Matthew's account, but once again, in Mark's account, maybe I should have just preached it for Mark. In Mark's account of this narrative, he tells us that when evening came, Jesus could see them struggling in the middle of the lake. Now, evening is the term used for late at night, usually 10, 11 o'clock, well past our bedtime. They've been gone for quite some time, but they haven't progressed very far. They're battered by the storm. They're straining against the effects of the storm. They're, they're fighting for their very survival. And there's two observations that I think are noteworthy here. The first is, even though that they are alone, they are caught in a storm, and they think that Jesus is back there, you know, praying in some quiet, wonderful little place, unaware of everything that's happening to them, he sees them. He is, the very, he is very aware of the storm that's pounding them. He's aware of their struggle. He's aware of their fight for survival. He's aware of their fears. He's aware of their emotions. And the second is, even though he sees them, and this is the troubling part, even though he sees them, even though he's aware of their struggle, he doesn't rescue them immediately. He sees them in the storm in the late evening, but he doesn't engage in the rescue until hours later. In the meantime, they're continuing to battle and fight for their lives, trying to overcome the power of the storm. Now, in ancient biblical times, the time between sunset and sunrise was divided into watches, and we're told that Jesus actually showed up during the third watch of the night, which is between 3 and 6 a.m. His timing is unusual, and his arrival is certainly unconventional. He comes to their rescue walking on the water. They've been battling for a long time. They're exhausted. And up until this moment, they thought that the power of the storm was their worst fear, was their biggest threat, because they'd never seen a person walk on water before. They'd never seen that. And so they look out and they think, great, in the middle of all of this, now there's a ghost. And they're even more afraid. But then he spoke to them. He revealed himself to them in the storm. And he begins to console them, to, to not be afraid that he's there. And if he's there, it's, it's going to be okay. 
And so he's able to calm them as the storm is raging around them. The third is stepping out. This story could be complete, really, if it ended right here with Jesus showing up in the midst of the storm and saving the day. Yet there's another segment of the story that unfolded that holds great value for us to understand and explore. It's the response of Peter and the disciples to the arrival of Jesus. If this story is not unconventional enough, it gets even more unconventional at this moment. Not only do we have Jesus walking on the water, but now we have Peter asking if he can join him on the water. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. If it's you. The words, if it's you, should best be interpreted, since it's you. Jesus, since that's you doing that, invite me out there with you. Tell me to come out on the water with you, Jesus. Now, at first glance, this request doesn't make sense. It seems nothing more than a typical reckless Peter doing the unexpected and senseless thing. That's what it seems like. The request by Peter makes sense, though, when we see it through the lens of biblical discipleship. In biblical times, the relationship between the rabbi or teacher and the student or disciple was a significant relationship, and we've talked about it at length here at Evangel. Once becoming a disciple, the student would commit their lives to following and learning from the rabbi. The goal of discipleship was to eventually be able to know and do what the rabbi could know and do. Jesus was their teacher. He was their rabbi. They were his disciples, his students. And so Peter believed that he should be able to do what Jesus was doing. And so Jesus' response was, come. Come out here. Do what I'm doing. If that's what you want, come and do it. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. Our scripture says that Peter became afraid of the raging storm and began to sink and cried out to Jesus to be rescued. Now Jesus later said that it was Peter's doubt that caused this to happen. It was Peter's doubt that caused him to begin to sink. And I want us to know that the word doubt here does, does not mean a lack of faith. Sometimes we look at this and we say, Peter lacked the faith. The word doubt does not mean lack of faith. It means being double-minded. It means to be trying to focus on two things at once. Peter is trying to focus on Jesus, and at the same time as he's focusing on Jesus, he's, he's seeing what's happening around him. He sees the storm. He sees the impact of the wind and the rain and, and, and the damage that's being done around him. And so he's trying to look at Jesus, but he can't help but look at the storm. And eventually looking at the storm overpowers what's happening in his life. And he takes his eyes off of Jesus and becomes fixated on the storm only. And in that moment, Jesus said, that's what caused you to sink. The moment you took your eyes off me and focused instead on the storm, that's when you began to sink. 
And so Jesus looked at him and said, serves you right, drown. No, is that how your translation doesn't say that? It says Jesus reached out and rescued Peter. And when Jesus and Peter got into the boat, this is what I find the most interesting. It's only now at this point that they're back into the boat that the storm died down. And now the disciples worship him. They said, truly, you are the son of God. They'd never said that before. They'd never said those words before. Maybe they thought them, but they never said them out loud. But in this moment, their experience left no doubt in their minds about his authority, about who he was, about what he had done in this moment for them. There are three things that I'd like to consider as we bring this message to conclusion this morning. You still awake? Great, me too. When we are battling storms in our lives, it sometimes feels, first point is inattentive, sorry. It sometimes feels like Jesus is either unaware or not really focused in on our situation. The truth is, oftentimes, when we're in a storm, we feel alone, surrounded by people, but alone. We don't have the ability to rescue ourselves, and it appears that he's not going to rescue us either. We believe that if Jesus was paying attention to our situation, if Jesus would clue in to what we're going through, what we're facing, certainly he would come and rescue us. I want us to know today that there's nowhere we can go that he's not aware of our life and, our, and the details of our storm. I want to take a moment and just read a part of Psalm 139 with you this morning. This is what the psalmist said. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. I love this part. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Darkness is as light to you. Although we feel like we are alone, we're not alone. There's nowhere we can do. There is nothing we can face. There is nothing that we can endure that he will lose track of where we are. He's promised that he will be with us always. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That didn't end when he ascended back into heaven. He, he said to his disciples, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end. Emmanuel is Emmanuel. God with us will always be God with us. Now, I don't pretend to know specifically why he sometimes acts slower than we like. If I were to be brutally honest, I really wish he wouldn't. 
I really wish he wouldn't. But I do know, know that his, he has promised in his word that all of these things in our lives work together for good. That he always has our best interest at heart. I often can't see what he's doing until long after he's done. And sometimes not even then. He knows where we are. He's paying attention. He's in control. Even when we feel like everything is out of control. Secondly, intervention. Storms in this life sometimes come when we least expect. When things are really, really good, just I don't know where there's a storm. And then sometimes storms come when things are already really bad. When we are already battling with difficult storms that all of a sudden, it seems like from nowhere, now we're hit with another unexpected storm and they just keep piling on us. Storms are usually unpredictable. And Jesus' intervention is often unconventional. And so we often determine in our minds, we decide what, how we think Jesus should intervene. That if we were God, this is what we would do, and this is how we would do it, and this is when we would do it. And so we figured out in our own lives what we think Jesus should be doing for us in this storm, how we should be doing it, and when he should be acting. The truth is, sometimes we don't think Jesus is doing anything because he's doing it so different than we think it should be that we don't recognize it. We need to be careful that we're not putting Jesus in a box and in the end miss out what it is on what it is he's trying to do in our lives. The predictable thing about Jesus is he's unpredictable. We notice in our story that Jesus calmed the disciples before he calmed their storm. We're told that the storm died down after he got in the boat not when he showed up on the scene. While the storm was still raging, he was speaking truth to them. He was consoling them. He was calming them. He was reassuring them. Nothing in the storm had changed other than he was there, they could see him, and he was speaking into their lives. Jesus' goal for us is not just to make the storm go away. It's to build our faith. It's to strengthen us in the midst of the storm. Jesus could have calmed the storm. If that was his only goal, he could have been up on the mountain and said, oh man, they're in a storm. And he could have just spoken and it stopped. He could have done that. He could have been out there and all of a sudden it's like, oh, Jesus is in the boat. We didn't know you were here with us. But he chose to walk on the water. Why would he do that? I believe he's demonstrating his authority over the source of their fears. The storm is under his feet, subject to his authority. And our storm, whatever it is we're facing this morning, may seem like it's raging out of control and our storm is accountable to no one. It's just, it's 
building speed, it's doing damage, it's out of control, and, and it's just, there's, there's, it's not in, accountable to anybody. But that's not true. Your storm is under the feet of Jesus. Your storm answers to the authority of Jesus. And when he accomplishes all that he desires to accomplish through it, and I find he's very thorough. He gets the most out of every situation. He'll say, enough. And then the storm will end. Some storms will pass quickly. And others, like a Category 5 hurricane, will just hover over and, and just stay damaging, challenging. But regardless, he will be with us in the storm for however long it takes. Even though we may start with a burst of faith, even the strongest of us, we start with, I'm coming out there with you. I'm going to see, you know, this is your authority. I'm taking the authority too. And we start with that burst. But even the strongest of us can get distracted by the threat of the storm. It's important to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's important for us to keep our focus on him. It's important for us to maintain him in our focus in the midst of our storm. Because otherwise... We're going to be tossed and we're going to sink and it's going to drown us. And when we sink, because most often we are going to, we're going to sink. We're going to do it because that's just what we do. That's when he reaches out and he lifts us up. He never lets us go. Thirdly, finally, worship. Like the disciples it's easy to worship when the rescue of Jesus from the storm is still fresh in our lives. But what about when the freshness of the rescue, the freshness of the intervention of Jesus begins to wear off? Why are most of us inspired to worship him when he does what we want and need after the storm is calmed already? Is he not the son of God before he calms our storm, as much as after he calms our storm? Jesus deserves our worship not only for what he has done before, but because of who he is. Sometimes our relationship with Jesus is like that of a vending machine. We come to him when we need something, and after we get what it is we're asking for, we move on until next time. And then next time we go back to the machine to get the next disbursement. We have to guard ourselves from this. Because that's not what it means to have a genuine relationship with Jesus. It's not about in those moments where only in the moments of difficulty, trying to get what we need from God and then not having any association with that in our lives until the next time. That's not what he wants for us. He wants genuine, daily, ongoing relationship in the good and the bad and the ugly. And so he's worthy to be worshipped and trusted with our whole lives, even though we're facing storms. Even when the storms have passed and things are good. I'm going to invite Tyler to, 
and the worship team to make their way back. I don't know what your storm is today. And I don't know the impact that it's having on you. But what I do know are just some very simple but very important things. First, Jesus is aware of your storm. You're not alone. You're not forgotten. You're not left. Secondly is, he is working on our behalf, even if it appears like he's doing nothing. And finally, I want you to know that he will intervene when the time is right. In fact, we think intervening is solving, but intervening is so much more than that, is his presence there with us. I'm going to invite you to stand with us this morning. As we prepare to gather as a prayer team this morning, as we want to provide opportunity to encourage you this morning and pray with you this morning, maybe you're here today and you are in a storm. Maybe your storm has been going for a very, very long time. Maybe there's no sense that resolution can even happen in your storm. But we want to pray with you this morning that the one who calms his children and the one who calms the storms of his children would would bring peace and strength and, and hope into your life this morning and would work in your life. We want to provide worship and honor to him this morning. And even if you're here right now and things are good right now, for you. Even in those moments, offering him worship as intense as if he had just brought us through the most exhilarating moment we have ever faced because he's unchanging. And so we want to encourage you and pray for you and help you this morning as you prepare to leave this place, to go outside these doors and to continue living and serving him. So the worship team is going to lead us. Our prayer team is going to come. If you'd like us to pray with you this morning, why don't you come? And it would be an honor for us to do that.